Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. You are right. My voice is crazy today. I didn't have a voice for the last five days. I have no idea why I didn't have a voice, but I've got somewhat of a voice and I was not going to cancel today's interview. I cannot even wait for you to meet my guest today. Deborah Weinsweig's on. She is the founder and CEO of Coresight Research. Many of you probably know her from the industry, especially in retail. She focuses all around technology and retail industry, and even more than that. Um, it's going to be a really cool conversation today. Deborah, so great to have you on the podcast. I'm so honored to be here and to hear your scratchy voice. Oh, it's I'm terrible. Like, there's there's got to be some good stories there. You know, no, I was speaking this week at an event and I said, no, I didn't stay up late. No, I didn't drink too much. No, I didn't smoke. Like, I have no idea. And then I had several people say, I should have. I should have. You know what? The, several people did tell me they were like, you know, some people will pay a lot of money to make their voice sound like that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> So it's crazy. So I, I'm on the receiving end. I'm very lucky. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I was like, this morning, I was thinking, okay, yeah, the voice is good enough. We're doing the interview. But um, <laughs> it's so great to have you here. Deborah's a great friend of mine. Um, we've known each other for many years, and we do a lot of work in the industry together. We're going to do a couple things today. We're going to talk about her her path to entrepreneurship, and then we're going to get into some really, really cool concepts around where retail is today and what we're seeing uh, coming in the next year or so. So I'm super excited. Um, Deborah. let's start off with your background. Tell us what you were doing before launching Car- Coresight. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go back a bit. So I really kind of got my, you know, scraped my knees and, you know, all that uh, working on the sell side where, right, you you build very detailed models on companies. So that's the quant side. And then the qual side, right? You literally, you know, pound the pavement or some of us did. And so, you know, you're counting cars. You're like looking at, you know, you're going to stores, looking at people, we're in people's carts. And like, I like, and the thing is, once you start to do that and you find it interesting, it never gets out of your system. So like this year on Black Friday, I was literally out from 5 a.m. till 5 p.m. Oh my God. And you could have like- And you loved it, right? You loved all parts of that. (laughs) Every minute of it. I really, I really did. And so- that's kind of where I, I I really kind of started. And uh, truth be told, my mother got very sick. And so I ended up leaving the cell site a bit unexpected. And and actually, I grew up in uh, Indiana. So that was also a very good base of like the real world. <laughs> sure. And so I went back home and I actually lived with my parents for a little bit. Um, I mean, my family was still in New York, but I was there to do whatever it took. And, uh, you know, my mom kind of got well. And my father also quit his job. So it was some of the nice my dad too. Yeah. So I ended up, but like, you know, I sleep like three hours a night. So I was like, I had 21 <laughs> hours of the day to fill. There was like not enough totally. to do. I love it. I mean, but it was great. <laughs> I reconnected with all my friends from high school. Oh and were, like, it was a great, it was, it, it literally was life, life-changing experience. And so I reached out to a few people I knew in the industry who I'd like kind of, you know, either we would host dinners when I was at City or whatnot. And so... The first guy I called was literally his name is Guy, um, Guy Chayev from he was the CEO and founder of Profitect, and they actually did pattern recognition. It was the coolest, you know. I mean, that's why they required, but they would ingest all this data from retailers and then identify patterns and be able to wow. you know kind of. It it was really it cool. was amazing, amazing what we learned. So he's like, 
Deborah, I'd love to have you join the team. Why don't you become our chief customer officer? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I have no, I have no idea what that is. Right, but, but it's a job, good. right? right. <laughs> sounds great. And so, wait, the first time I show up to work in like a black skirt suit, they're like, <laughs> because hey, you they're worked like, at City and Morgan Stanley, yeah, right? I mean, that's what you did. Yeah. yeah, they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to work. They're like, what work? What work? Welcome, you know what work? And so they're like, but why are you dressed like that? I'm like, because I'm at work. Nice. So it was nice. Let's just say I had a lot to learn, and then wait, even better. When we traveled, there was like no food budget. What do you mean so, by that? Like, so it was like unlimited well, budget. Like, no zero budget. Oh no budget. Zero. <laughs> no budget. Got it. <laughs> So it, let's just put it this way. It was not reimbursable. You could spend whatever you wanted. You just weren't but, getting reimbursed. Wow. And Who so does that? I, That's weird. I, I think it's a very startup thing though, right? And so I started to like, so I'd go to a conference, right? And there's like, you know, there's kind of bowls of bars. And right. I'm like, I'm That's taking dinner. like 10. 10. I, mean, I got to eat that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, that's my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So throwing oh <laughs> a little bit of fiber, I was like, good to go. And so <laughs> I um, so I actually introduced them to one of the companies I followed at City who acquired them. I mean, small world. And then in the same week, I got a call to go back to the south side or to think about leading this think tank in China. Interesting. And I it was it was uh it was interesting because I, I was interested in both. I really was. So I I, I fly over to uh, Hong Kong for like what I thought was an interview. And it was, you know, and I'm, I'm meeting with the, you know, I mean, just amazing, brilliant futurist, uh, Victor Fung. And Victor said, you know, we're really just trying to figure out if you're going to be based in the U.S. or if you're going to be based in Hong Kong. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? And so I'm like, well, at this point, like, I can't let, you know, I, I can't, you know, I was, I was going to be reporting to Spencer, who was um, at the time the CEO, became the CEO. I'm like, well, I can't have Spencer lose face. I've got to take the job, right? Like, sure. and so I was like, in some ways, they made it so easy. So I spent, before the pandemic, I was based in China for five years. And I commuted back to the U.S. because my family was here. My my son is a gymnast. So he, right. for his gymnastics thing, he stayed, they stayed here. And it was amazing because also, since my family wasn't there when I was there, I just worked. The I mean, whole time. You know, I would work Except for three you know, hours 18, at night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was literally working like 18 hour days. And if you think about it, Justin, right, you would, you know, you'd be in the office during the day, you'd go out to dinner at night. And when you're at dinner, it's still kind of all about work. Everything was like sure. one degree of separation sure. from work. So, and then because of WeChat, if you want to think about China's speed. Totally. We would all scan each other. And then there was the ability, right? I, I, I could put like Justin... AWS, you know, he he likes to drink water with like purple flavoring, right? Mio, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's how you would remember people, right? Oh, interesting. And, it was, and it's all and it's all in one an app, right? I I paid for everything. It was my, you know, there's the moments which are your social media, and so you were also able, you know, talk about being organized. Sure, you were able sure. to do everything in one place. And connect with everybody. And so in the period of like five years, right, I got to meet a lot of amazing people and learn about a lot of what is now still our future, right? Sure. I, mean, I said something like, I live in the future. Right. I know what's going to work because, you know, people behave pretty consistently. Sure. And it's just a matter of, right, like the technology coming to the West 
and our ability to kind of, you know, integrate that into our daily lives. But, you know, I I think we're going to become, right, we'll be more autonomous, in some ways more self-sufficient. And you you and I talked about in preparing for this, you're going to have to gamify everything. That's so crazy to even think that. Yeah, I mean, I think you just made a good point. Like you said, the technology is going to come to the West, not the other way around. I think most people expect, oh, what we have here in the U.S. is going to go to other places. You know what I mean? I mean, one one thing that's like very interesting is, so you, um, so in China, right there, when they read your, I, 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 I don't know, like you know, there's those little tiny things that you and I both find so interesting. So this is one of them. All of the medical images are read with AI. Interesting. And if you think about it, you you have about 1.4 billion people who are all similar, right, genetically. And so, right, unlike, you know, right, it's great to be melting pots, but then, right, you can't apply the exact same technology to a group of people. Right. And so it is unbelievable. The, um, right, they do a lot more of the right surgeries and a lot less of the wrong. So actually, for the first time ever, right, the life expectancy of those in China exceeded that of those in the U.S. I attribute, because I have a lot of people ask me, I said, I attribute a lot of it to how they read their images. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I know. Not diet or like, food or what you know what they drink. No, unbelievable. I don't. Wow. I, I think at the end of the day, it is it is literally doing more of the right thing and 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 having better outcomes for patients because wow. you're I taking mean, care of them, right? You know this whole idea of you know kind of precision medicine. Interesting. Talk about a big idea here on the show. That's great. I mean, I never thought about that. Um, Amazing. Yeah, you're known for your experience and your knowledge in China, um, retail, live stream, all the te- retail tech. How did you get started with your own business? Like, when did you decide I'm going to start my own thing? So, at, so Lee and Fun, Fun Group had been kind of the uh, consolidation of about a hundred companies, and so there was a lot of complexity there. And for you know the company to kind of continue into the fifth generation, right? We saw that you know, this desire almost to simplify. Sure. And, you know, supply chain, huge still pain point. And I think there's there's a lot of runway there. And while we were there, we got very involved in, um, right, creating the think tank, which was basically a lot of analysts, uh, people, right, really kind of those of us who could analyze the market and then also those who could analyze data, right? We were really, it was it was like 30 of us and we were all looking at, and what we did, right, is we tried to take what we saw, either in practice or in theory, and figure out how to make it practical and easy and simple, and to explain it very, you know, it, to explain it in a way that people could, didn't have to spend a lot of time. I think that's the thing, is that, you know, you want to have the 50-page report to back it up, but I want to be able to understand a three-page deck. And that, sure. that three-page deck could take you 10x the amount of time it takes you to write the 50-page <laughs> right. report. Right. And so that was something that was very different. And I feel like we had a big impact because of that. And then we also, right, we were trying to get everybody on the same page, even though we we're all very spread out ge- geographically. And so bringing people together to either learn about the same thing, which may be completely out of what they do today, day-to-day was, was fascinating to us. And so we actually spun out right before the pandemic Um and it was this idea that we could see a path towards, um, let's just say, not only profitability, but revenue generation. 
And while we were at, you know, the Fung Group at Lee and Fung, we had written, you know, reports for all the major tech companies that it sure. actually was very funny because we were not a revenue center, Justin, right? We were a think tank. <laughs> right. So, so the very first one, I won't, I won't use any company's names, but they were like, they came to us <laughs> right. and they're like, well, how much is it going to cost? And I'm like, it's not going to cost. I don't know. I, no, I said, it's I not going to cost. Out. <laughs> I said, it's not going to cost anything. I can't take money. And so they were like, this is like the best deal in town, right? And so <laughs> we started to figure that out. And, you know, we started to see a, a path forward and one that was just very commercial. And sure. and as somebody ran the cell site, you always measure yourself, right? It was customer votes. And I found it hard. It, I mean, you know, I felt you know, just being a responsible person, I felt if we could cover our costs at the fun group, we should. But then it was also like, it was hard to measure without, right, you know, okay, is it number of projects we do and like the outcomes of the ROI, right? That's all very long-term. But the idea right around like, you know, revenue generation, right? That's kind of here and now. And so sure. it, it wasn't, I, I, I actually like, I don't love to sell, right? Like I like to change how people think, right? And those are two different things. No doubt. Now you have to sell to get to the opportunity to, change the way people think. But it's been fascinating as we, right, we're now a revenue generating enterprise, how how we look at, you know, kind of where we can have impact and going back to how do we get to do more of what we love? But it wasn't, I would say, it was more like we saw an opportunity and we kind of jumped on it. Sure. And it's been, right, most of the team has been here since like the beginning. And, you know, we're still, the thing is, we never plan to be here. So we all learn every day. And we actually learn a lot from from some of our clients because I'm like, sure, we never plan to be a startup. So it's like, you know, how I I had a call again. I had a call late last night with somebody who's explaining some of this, like, you know, the sales process. And I was like, I never even knew there was this thing called a sales engineer. I mean, I knew there's that in certain businesses, (laughs) but not technology. There are yeah, but not (laughs) in our business. (laughs) And it was it was the coolest thing. So I I love the fact that we get to learn every day. That's that's the favorite part of my job. Pretty cool. Yeah, for those who don't know, Deborah, or you probably already figured this out. She doesn't really have to do much to sell because she's so knowledgeable in these different areas and such a a connector. You know, she's like a Uber connector. I love being around people like that. Um, And we have a lot of fun. connecting the dots on um, ideas and opportunities and connecting people. It's just like, like it's energetic, right? Um, okay. So talk about how you guys are structured at CoreSight. You know, how do you break up product? You know, how much is this core research and subscription versus, you know, more um, bespoke projects? How do you think about that? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because we start off as just very much kind of subscription research. And right. then we started to get a lot of requests to do custom research. And so that took two forms, which both were interesting. So one was, right, a, you know, a board, a C-suite wanted to change or help the company think about things in a different way. But right, you need like a white paper to do that. And so we've done a lot of them that were for internal use only. And those have been the best because you go onto the board, you present and like, and you can see, right, how their, their thoughts are changing as you're sitting there. And if they're not, then you've got to like, you know, kind of think about how you're saying it or putting it together. And so the ability to really have a, a very specific impact, I, I enjoy that a lot. And then the custom research side, if we can help tell the story, if we can identify, you know, either new technologies or the, you know, I'll tell you, like Track said to us, they're like, you literally help people in the U.S. understand computer vision and retail through the, right. and, it was, and it was work we totally. did for them, right? I, I will, yep. I will, tracks well. yeah, I will, I will actually give them like the, the round of applause because they were the ones that that were very specific. And you know what? They probably more than any other client we worked with, they just wanted us to like 
pulled data upon data upon data and to explain why this was important. And, you know, if you put the charts together in the right way, you can literally, I mean, I remember when I was an analyst, you would sit down with portfolio managers and sometimes they'd like take your reports in two minutes. They look <laughs> at the charts and, and you knew, right. And it was, and for me, that's, I think what, you know, we've seen some very successful companies do in terms of right. how to kind of translate the message. So that's like research. Then off of the research, we've started to do a lot, a lot of advisory work. So we take Western companies to the East, mainly to China. As you, talk, you and I talked about, we're getting a lot of requests for Japan. Uh, we've, actually totally. done, we've actually done a lot of um, to South America as well, which has been really interesting. Interesting. You know, we do a ton of live streaming, like my favorite topic, retail media, your favorite topic, um, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> metaverse. Why? Yeah, metaverse. <laughs> and so those are where, right? And so how I look at it, you know, we're, we're working on supply chain for somebody. And I'm like, I just said, I said, we're going to do this in three months stints because the supply chain overhaul could be years. I have no patience. And I said, right. I want right. to, right. And I also want you to move really fast. And if I, if I right. tell you we can do it over a year at like month eight, you're gonna be like, oh, we have to make some decisions. If it's a three months, like engagement, you're like from day one, we have to make right. Like decisions. That's and right. so, right. So true. All of this, I want, I want ROI generation, of course. I want the quick win, but I also want to have the opportunity for companies to change the way they think about about what they do, why they do, and like who they do it with. And that's where I think we've had, you know, kind of a lot of impact. And then we actually, I don't know if you knew, we acquired actually like an alternative data company. Oh, I don't think I knew that. I know I didn't know that. Yeah, from like my old world, right, from when I was in um, the sell side, because we have, if you think about it, right, I, at this point, don't really know what's in the public domain and what's not in the public domain, right? Because you and I, right, we're talking to companies all the time. Sure. And so we've been very reluctant to take on, you know, much of Wall Street as our clients because, right, you know, we've got to just be incredibly careful. And our analysts, they, you know, they're not in the same meetings. They're in different meetings. So they can, I would say they're in a much better place to, to know what's public and, and not. But what we did with the alternative data company, because I, I mean, I love working with Wall Street, right? It's fast moving. They pressure check everything. They, right. they, they like sit on yeah. you, right? To like really make sure that, you know, you understand what they're saying. And so with the acquisition of this um, data company, they're now doing a lot directly with Wall Street. I'll talk to them about things in the background or I'm brought in to just talk about the data, and that sure. is a place I'm completely comfortable with. And I've really enjoyed it. It's like given me that like new kind of, you know, slice of life. And then of course we do events, right? We do, I, and I'll tell you what I think we've perfected is like the 90 minute conference. Ooh, and, okay. So tell me about that. How does and, that work? Because most of the conferences I go to have someone speaking for 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, not, that doesn't go well. So I'll, I'll tell you, like it was might've been like 2016, like that long ago that we had actually a, a tech company come to us and ask us to put together, you know, kind of, we wrote a paper for them, we a research report. And they're like, we want a conference around this. And I was like, we can do this, right? <laughs> sure, <laughs> so, why not? Oh, we right. never, we never done a conference at that scale. And so we broke it down. I'm like, you know, I said, I think people want to hang out and have fun before and after. And I'm like, we're going to keep it because we already have the report. So they can read it if they really want more information. I just need to bring it to life. And I'll tell you, we had 90 minutes. I think I spoke for 15. We then did like three 15-minute panels. 
and we move them really, really, really fast. We actually did like a, you know, like a kahoot, like a answering questions. And we like gave out prizes, which was super fun. Wow. Um, and then Interesting. we, clo- right, closing it with startups. So we've now given you all of this intelligence, all these ways to rethink about your business, but how are you going to do it? And so then Got we it. run through, right? And we actually had people vote because, you know, at the end of the day, it's good to... Ah, that's a great idea. And so they voted I mean, on, and then we actually gave out... Um, to right, the winner actually got you know kind of a actually it was like gift cards because that yeah you know, that way <laughs> right. that way the retailers are really involved and right. it's been it was great and so you know we do cocktail parties and we do right dinners that but I you know I mean hey we all start with a script I I stick to it for about two minutes because <laughs> I know That's yeah right. <laughs> and I know that all yeah, too well <laughs> and and the ability to be be given the permission to right. change direction in real time, I have to say, I'm like, I feel very fortunate that company, like very large companies trust us with that. We take that on, we take that very seriously, but you know, the ability to read the room, right. See how people are reacting and to be able to change, right. Like how we're totally talking about things in real time, just to really drive success. I mean, success for the company and it's success for those in the room. And, you know, I mean, hey, I, I love it. I'm not giving everybody uh, a medal, but I do like everybody. <laughs> but I do want everyone to be a winner. Right. Those are different sure. things. Right. Because one I is do. one I is do. you taking it on yourself. So that's how I look at it. I love it. I, I think we should use that model for this podcast. You know, we're going to set up a little event in New York. We could do like a fun thing before 90 minute, some cool research from you. And then we could have a couple of the startups we're, that have been on our show. We're do doing a pitch, it. A pitch off. Why not? That, it's I happening. Tell you, I've had so many of the founders on this show say, when are we doing an event? So maybe we'll use that format. That'd be kind of fun. I love it. I love it. <laughs> as Deborah, as Deborah writes it I down. Do in her notebook. She's, by the way, for those, <laughs> Deborah is super uber organized and she's got some great tools. If <laughs> we could do have another show talking about how to stay organized. Okay. <laughs> um, so fun. All right. Let's, let's, let's dial into retail. Um, did you always know you were going to be in retail? Was it, does that no. come from the beginning? No. Or, okay. So when did this kind of I'm, focus in this segment come about? Yeah. Cause I'm not like, I, I was not one of those like fashionistas, right? Like I, right. Was, like I came up through retail. Yeah, I've always no, been, I, you know, I yeah. was, I was an athlete and I, I always enjoyed the team sports. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, that's really what retail is, right? It's a team sport, truly. But I, so I started off at Morgan Stanley as a strategist. So it's Got like, it. you know, yeah. you're kind of an inch deep and like, you know, 10 miles wide because I was global, not just, just US. <laughs> yes. And so, right, like I understood a little bit about a lot of things. And then when you start to tie them through with data and see patterns, it's all patterns. It was fascinating to try and figure out where the consumer was going and how they were going to get there. And that I really enjoyed. And so I then I had the opportunity after I left Morgan Stanley to cover retail companies. And it was not, you know, I, I was a little rusty on my model building, but you know, I, I, I brought out the models from business school and tried to structure things the same way. I think I, <laughs> literally probably models I built in business school were the foundation for everything I did on Wall Street. Oh my and God, it's funny. What I, you know, what I thought, what I loved is meeting people like yourself who have an opinion and are knowledgeable. And so that's how I built up my, basically like my own base of knowledge. And I was always very appreciative, right? It was like, you know, I wouldn't use more than 30 minutes of people's time at a at one shot. I mean, I'd go back, but 
there was this idea too that I wanted to be able to kind of give back to those people who helped as well. And so it would always have like a nugget or two. And sure. over time, right, you build up a network of people who honestly almost feel responsible for your success, which was great. And then, right, you know, the, the other dynamic was like, you know, we were covering, right, real companies that were publicly traded. And so, right, understanding what they cared about, understanding how they were making decisions, where they were allocating capital. And what I found was the biggest delta for all of them was technology. That really Got it. was what what either their passion towards innovation, their questioning of right kind of what's you know what's the the common language, and those I found who you know either were uncoordinated, who you know the tech companies were like oh they're a mess, right? That those are the ones that usually did not fare as well as others, and so it, it all sure. ended up coming down to right tech the tech side of retail and that's you know, wow. where you and it's I were- still that case today, by the way, I, I think if we, if I were to list off retailers and, you know, we were just going to do a quick soundbite on them, yeah. I think you'd probably, you'd be almost rating them, right. Based on investment in tech or leaning into tech or, you know, right. I'm guessing you're laughing. I, I, I have, we can I, see each other on Zoom. You guys can't see this, but well, as I, I'm watching her, she's I, like smiling. I have to share, you can almost do like a rating score, you know? <laughs> I, I have to share the story, and I, he'd be fine if I did, which is why I know it's okay. So <laughs> so funny. I brought actually a um, tech company many years ago called Profit Logic into Scott Friend, who's now at Bain. I brought him into uh, Mickey Drexler, and when Mickey was at J. Crew, and Mickey is like. You know, and they had this like it was actually kind of cool. They had this like throughout the whole company like a, a an announcement system. So it's like oh, I know. Yeah, so it's like Deborah Weinsberg <laughs> is here with Scott Friend of Profit Logic, and I think for the startup they're like, oh my gosh, everybody in J Crew knows I'm here. This is the coolest thing. <laughs> Nothing else. And so Mickey, right? Like you know, we sat down, we had a lovely conversation, and so he's like, you know, can you hang back for a bit? I'm like, sure. And he's like, you know, I'm never going to work with them. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I just don't believe, right, in, you know, tech driving retail, right? It's all like, you know, the art and not that much of the science. And so, you know, if you think about kind of where Gap and J. Crew and whatnot, I think that enough enough is uh, said there. But I do think that you, you need to have somebody who's like a really strong merchant. Sure. And you need to have that person, right, almost like attached to the hip, whether it's your CIO or CTO. And to me, right, going back to those companies that have done that, and there are definitely some, right, they have fared over time better than others. Got it. <laughs> right. Enough said. <laughs> that would be a whole topic for another episode, I have a feeling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what should we be thinking about um, in retail? What's coming? You know, what are, we, what are some of the new trends we, we could be looking forward to over the next year or so? Um, both in-store and in e-commerce. You know, I don't want to rewind the clock to COVID and all of that. Let's talk about today, here and now, and then what's on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, if I think about what retailers like, you know, we built out this like three by three framework. So what are the three things that you can do today? And, you know, how do you do it? So basically, right today, right, you can do retail media, you can monetize your data, right? Especially as we're going to this or we're in this cookie apocalypse, right? We We heard from retailers and from social media companies that in the second quarter, there's a dramatic, uh, let's just say, change in the um, amount of understanding of consumer actions and behavior. And then, you know, you, you start to think about, you know, what you can sell, right, from a metaverse and perspective, right? NFTs, right? Every single retail NFT has been a smashing success. 
Did it sell out in 90 seconds? Did it sell out in 120 seconds? Right. But wow. you think about, but if you think about retail media, data monetization, NFTs, 18 months ago, we weren't talking about any of that. <laughs> None of that. Maybe not even <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Hey, right. Meta just changed their name. Right. You know, six right. months ago. Right. I mean, you're, ta- you're talking about major change. And then there's also right new ways to sell them, right? Quick commerce, which you know you and I have spent a lot of time talking about because <laughs> I I don't I think that at the end of the day, right, we're going to start to have drone, you know, more drone delivery. I mean, that's quick commerce. You know, you can call it whatever right. it is, but it's getting something to you in a you know under thirty minutes. So I think that, and you know, there there are some pilots going on right now for different retailers who I can't be more specific, but they've all been you know knocking out of the park successful. And I mean, think about it. You forget you live in your your 12 miles, your 20 miles from the grocery store. You forget a bag of flour, right? And you're baking cookies. <laughs> you're not going to drive that far, take that time, pay for that kind of gas. But right, right. now, right, the drones can, I think, you know, it's up to five pounds. So you can, I was going to say, I, I, that would require a big old drone. Yeah, but you can, <laughs> you can get, right, like a five pound bag of flour. I mean, it is pretty amazing. And, you know, it's to your home and like, you know, and I, and you see, I've seen a lot of these, uh, actually, I don't know if you knew this, I'm running a drone panel, just as oh, it were. I did at, not know this. At NRF. Oh, very cool. And so wait, wait okay. it, gets, it gets even I'll better. i check that out. <laughs> it gets even better. I'm literally in Israel, as you know, like three weeks ago. Yes. I and I'm talking to this guy and he's like, oh, I'm speaking at um, NRF on drones. I'm like. <laughs> drone panel. <laughs> really? I said, what time are you speaking? And he's like, 11.15 on Monday. I'm like, you're on my panel. I was like, <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. that just does not happen. And so he actually showed me videos, right, where people were like, you know, waiting outside their homes for this thing to be delivered. And it was like, I mean, first of all, these all went like completely viral. But you right. start to think about it. So, so we've got three new things to sell, three new ways to sell them. And there's kind of like, you know, live streaming is is another way to to sell as well. And obviously the metaverse we've seen, you know, kind of very, I don't know how much time you spent in the metaverse. Well, that's what I was going to ask you on that topic. Uh, when actually, and uh, I, we bring it up, and everyone nods their head and is like, "Yeah, we're investigating." But it, is it driving value, or is it driving like incremental revenue anywhere, or is it just something an, an interesting way to engage with consumers? Like, what does that look like? Well, it depends how you say. So, right? I mean, I'm looking at like Web three, so that would be like Decentraland sure. and Sandbox. You know, I would put Axie in there as well, and you know. It's there's there's like very little traffic. I mean, you're talking like a thousand people a day. Um, <laughs> right. And that's a little traffic. But what's interesting is when you're there, and I'm just doing it on laptop, is your your mind starts to like because it's like your body. And I mean, there's been times where I've like literally bought coffee, and I'm like, I'm like, why did I just buy coffee? Right? Like, I'm paying money <laughs> for a virtual right. coffee. But you start to see, right, like as the form factor gets better, which I think, you know, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll see what's announced at CES. But yeah, I, I'm, I've talked to a lot of tech companies, right? There's going to be just like goggles or glasses. And that's, I think, sooner than we all think. And so, you know, you're going to start to have a better form factor. Nobody's going to walk around with a VR headset on, right? They're just not. That's right. That's not. No. I, in fact, our, it's the funniest thing when you see someone like in the store and they're, they've got it on, they're doing this crazy yeah. like thing. It almost looks like embarrassing, you know? Well, like, you're like, I don't want to like, do that. I'm, so, <laughs> I'm not. Well, well, the other <laughs> thing is too, right? Like, I'm sorry, Meta, but 
the, da- oh, the data says 8% of people get nauseous, but it's like the inverse. It's like 92% of people get nauseous with, with an Oculus headset on. And so, I mean, you know, you, Justin, the next time we're together, we have to pull the people at our table. Okay, let's do that. see how many, in, but I'm telling you. In three you, weeks, we'll be in New York meeting at the NRF, so we can do that there. We'll ask, we'll do a little survey. That's right. And, and, and you can put it in your, your daily newsletter and say, and then I can say, yes, I made Deborah's newsletter. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> we did some quick research. It didn't cost much. That's the best. It's like, <laughs> and, then, and then I think, right, there's almost like these three principles. So I think sustainability, and I don't think sustainability for sustainability's sake. I'm going to borrow from like Richard Galanti at CFO, at the CFO of Costco. He's like, sustainability rhymes with profitability. I'm like, no, it doesn't really rhyme. <laughs> but I get what you're saying, right? And And I think that... You know, I don't believe there's one of the consulting firms who I won't name, but I, I have gone head to head with them. I said, to me, the definition of sustainability is you use less. When you use less, it costs less. I said, and you're th- finding <laughs> different practices. And so I'm very much a believer because when when everybody thinks it's going to cost you more, it's going to cost the consumer more, it's going to cost the company more. I just don't think that's a sustainable business practice. And so I, I do it. that, you know, I could speak for four hours and I promise you I won't today about this topic <laughs> because it, I, it's very near and dear to my heart. Secondly, I think, you know, personalization, right? We all want to be unique. So we're actually doing a lot of NFT work, which I haven't shared all of it with you, but I should share some of it with you. Um, where we're trying to, especially for kind of Gen Z, right? Gen Z, we're trying to, you know, their product. I mean, it could be as simple as this, like, I don't even know. This is a papermate purple, um, right, felt tip pen. And if it had my name on it, or if I actually, like, I just ordered um, the tags, right, from Apple. And, right, you can oh, basically yeah, the tags. put, yeah, you I can just put a different, tags. I use those in all my bags. But you can put a different emoji on each of them. And so, like, you know, one I, <laughs> yeah, one, that's true. Yeah. So, one I put, like, you know, the little ghost. And, anyways, but now, <laughs> right, it's, it's unique. It's mine, right? And I think that, you know, as we think about what that means to the consumer, everyone's like, oh, they don't they don't want personalized messages. Of course they do. Right. They don't want creepy ones. <laughs> but right. I think that this and so I think it gives retailers a whole different level of permission of engagement and then loyalty. Right. Loyalty slash gamification. This is like, right. You can see where I'm going with this. If you so um, have you tried um, the NFT step in STEPN? I haven't. OK. Oh, my gosh. I'm changing your life. Right here, right now. <laughs> hey, everyone, you heard, it fa- you heard it first here. So um, so they're an NFT. It's like 50 bucks. And you put wow. on these virtual shoes and okay. you walk and you get paid. So, I mean, just walking the- in the virtual shoes. Yes. In the real world. So, right. You put them on before you go out. So anyway, so for those of you who haven't met me, right, like probably two of my steps are equal to <laughs> one of Justin's. So, oh, my gosh. I, I love this. Yeah. So literally, like I go out. And I mean, yeah. I the other day I was like I was um, at a conference. I then walked to my. I literally ran to like the next conference. You can't make this stuff up. Then I walked home, which was like you know, I I think I was at Fifty Sixth Street. I walked like thirty blocks. Then I had to go back to the conference <laughs> at night for like you know cocktails, and then I walked back home. It was like nice. It's a lot of good steps. It was a lot. Of, it was like thirty two thousand. I got like five hundred bucks. Oh my gosh, that's five, pretty good. Five hundred dollars. Oh, in one day. Okay, where do, where do I do that? How do I do, how do I do wear these? I don't have. I have no relationship. It's just like it was like I was doing research on health and wellness. <laughs> That's so crazy. And I was like, I will. And you know what? People are like, well, what do you get for that? I'm like, well, I get paid. They get my data. And I said, a lot of companies are getting my data, and I'm not being compensated. 
So I said, I am right. okay. I am okay with this. Okay. So, right. you know, you know, like, okay, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's interesting. All right. I got to check that out. This is another good nugget for this call. For this, <laughs> this WebEx Justin now has podcast. a to-do to list. Yeah. You've got- <laughs> I got a big long list already. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um, you mentioned some of the new tech or not new tech, tech that's working over in like China that you're impressed with that could come here or change are some dynamics. Maybe pick one or two that you know most would not be familiar with or most may not realize yeah. that are just booming or exploding or really transforming in another market. So I I think that the I mean there's there's some of the things that are um you know whether it's out of the you know AI right the government there is very much invested in AI right they're paying for people's education right they're they're looking at you know how they develop things differently, right? You've got a very large population, a very large data set, right? AI needs data. And so one of the things we talked about, right, which I'm I'm fascinated by, right, is around kind of how you look at whether it's reading images and having better outcomes because you understand, right? And there's also, you know, a lot around like NLP, like natural language processing. So if you think about the amount of uh, sales that are processed uh, for double 11, the well, people get upset, right? They're out of stock. They, you know, I mean, who knows, right? They, they've had a bad day. They want to talk to somebody. And so it can actually, right, like sense very highly, right? Who should be moved to the front of the line and addressed first because of, you know, the the words that were used, et cetera. Um, there's also a lot that's being done around, you know, kind of search. And as consumers search for things and they don't find them. So, you know, there are different uh, ways for, for retailers and CPG to then develop product for the market. And right, like the success rate, I mean, you know, the success rate on R&D is not high. Sure. But when you have the data, it's high. So you like, it was like spicy Snickers, which I literally used to take, they come in like a round tub. like Spicy a Snickers, oh yeah. my gosh. I would take them back to the US in like these round tubs and then like vanilla Listerine, I mean, things we haven't seen here, but like really cool in a, you know, I mean, it, and it doesn't seem that like mind blowing, but at the end of the day, I was like, I was like completely addicted to the spicy snickers. I mean, and it was <laughs> just, you know, I think those are the things. So it's this idea that you're taking data to basically personalize almost product for consumers. And it does seem incredibly logical, but we just haven't yet gotten to that place where we either have enough data or we have the capability to kind of synthesize it into kind of product development. Got and it. so these are some of the just like, this is just like, and then I, I just have to talk about this. This is like my favorite. So <laughs> in, in China, when you're like in the bathroom and like waiting in line, oh, there's, no. so, there's so much like augmented reality and all this. You're literally sitting in line and you like, look, can you like see yourself? And then you can choose like a color of lipstick to like try on. And then literally you can scan a QR code while you're waiting in line and buy the In the lipstick. bathroom. In the bathroom. Like you're in and the bathroom so, line and yeah. you could buy the lipstick. It's, and how do you get it? Does it is it there, like in a container um, or something? I, no. Well, you, you can get it. Well, first of all, you can get it delivered to you. <laughs> not in, maybe not in the bathroom is where you want it. But not in the be, bathroom. If you're going to be at your destination for more than thirty minutes, you can get it oh delivered, gosh. and then you get it delivered to your your home or apartment. But I do think that you know the last thing to talk about is supply chain, and when you think about not only the ability to deliver and to deliver on time. And, you know, that has been pretty much perfected. And one other, 
you know, kind of know is that the return rate in China is only 9%. And that compares to about 40% in the U.S. Interesting. Wow. And so, but there's a real reason behind that, right? In China, it takes 12 touch points before conversion. So you really know what you're buying, right? I can see the front of the, well, first of all, they typically use about 16 PDPs, right? On, uh, you know, when they're selling something online and embedded video. So you really know what you're buying. And that whole idea around understanding the purchase and then, you know, you're really kind of committing to it. And in some ways, right, like, and there are, there are times like there's, there are some things that we've done in that market with U.S. retailers who either had too much of something or like a broken assortment. And we put together these, like, I guess you call them like a goodie box. And so it all, (laughs) all be the same size. And we would put, it was funny, like we did one, it was like 25 bucks. And I'm like, we sold out and like, you know. I don't know, it was like eight minutes. I was like, oh my gosh, we should have charged wow. more. Right then I was like, right. you know, seller's remorse. So, but we, <laughs> but we actually still made margin. We cleared a bunch of product and it was like super fun. So I think that anything, what I felt was like anything you could dream in retail, you could do. It was just a matter of finding the right people to do it with you. And Got it. Wow. I think that here uh, we're still working on so many legacy systems it goes back to right. why startups are so important. It's like how we move faster and we get closer to the you know grand prize. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's, you see a lot of innovation in the startups and the digital native brands, whether it be on the consumer goods side or even over on the retail side. And the legacy um, companies really struggle with their back office, right? And, and can, moving can off ask, of those. Can I ask yeah. you a question? Oh my gosh, you want to ask me a question? Nobody I, asked me a question. I do. So it's something I've been thinking <laughs> okay. about quite quite a bit, which is, right, we are seeing, especially in CPG, so many of these companies are getting acquired, right? The digitally natives so quickly, right? What does that do in terms of, you know, how they would have evolved and the, and the impact they could have had on the market if they'd been able to kind of flower and bloom a bit more? And then... When they are being acquired, how are you seeing them being integrated? Are you seeing them be, you know, kind of left separate for the most part? Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. So on the consumer goods side, um, and we've talked about this on some other episodes, we haven't seen a lot of innovation the last couple of years from the big brands. And that's because the focus has been on everything supply chain and upstream sourcing of materials to go into manufacturing a product, you know, not having some of those product um, inputs, being able to then, you know, leading to out of stocks. And so the big focus has been on supply chain and just kind of running the business, quite frankly. Um, you know, two or three years ago, also, um, you know, CBG brands were like, we need to launch direct to consumer because stores are closed. Well, that wasn't very efficient. Most are now doing uh, e-commerce marketplaces, but you know, D to C, it's not really a winning proposition for most um, CBG brands. So a lot of culminating factors in terms of just the noise, I'll say, and consumer products from a legacy brand perspective. But then, especially if you look at food and beverage, a lot of new upstarts in the beverage space, you know, the health and wellness um, brands, new food bars, um, new plant-based meat companies, like a lot of, I mean, just incredible innovation in that space, in the um, food and beverage startup space and broader um, product space, but especially there, all of them starting on cloud. So they don't have any sort of back office, like heavy lifting from a data or analytics or technology perspective. All of them start off typically with e-commerce, unless they're like in the alcoholic beverage space and they've got to work through distributors. All of them are looking to build kind of some initial following through 
e-commerce and social and influencers, and then get into some an initial store or two and get some scale, at which point they typically have to go and become part of a distribution network. And then they start getting broader scale, and that's when they're looking to be bought or acquired, right? So for a lot of them, their goal is to get to a place where they're scooped up by a bigger um, CPG brand. And I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen, for the most part, when they're brought in, at least initially, the big brands attempt to leave them alone or let them continue to operate and grow so that they don't lose the consumer base, the following that they've developed. And most of them have a very unique following or a very niche like segment that they've built. That is the the best approach. I will tell you, though, over time, that's really hard to, to manage and maintain because the culture of a big organization, it's just it unconsciously you know, conspires to maintain the status quo. And so something new that comes in, if it's not large enough or it's not part of a cultural change over time, the, the it's, it's not um, unusual to see the bigger culture start to infuse and take over the startup brand that, that has been acquired. What, I mean, under those scenarios, what do you think is the best practice? The, the best practice. Uh, so ideally you, uh, you, you either have your own, business segment that's focused on new companies that are coming in. Um, like there's a major CPG brand that has bought a number of new snack food um, banners and they brought them in and they've put them into its own group, its own segment so that they don't ruin the culture of those companies. And then when they uh, are doing shows like the Food Marketing Institute in January, you'll see a whole segment of products from those companies that are all startup brands that are now part of this broader portfolio. So those are the ones that are doing it well, um, where they've they've kind of maintained the leadership and the people that were part of the the original brand, so they can continue to build it out and continue to scale it. Um, because the the worst thing in the world is when, and I've seen this. I worked for uh, a big CPG brand for uh, ten years, Coca Cola, and if you buy a legacy brand and then you know all of the founders leave. And then all of the leadership leaves, you inherently only have all you're left with is, is the product, which yeah. is fine as long as consumers are still buying that product and buying into the, the value or the message in the product. But over time, if not, then the brand writes off that product and kills it. That's a, that's a very that's a very good point. I mean, it's interesting, like what we've seen in some cases where the the brand is kept kind of completely separate. And almost right, the benefit is like the shared services. So right, they can take down a lot of their right. their costs. Exactly. Yep. And I actually think that going back to something you said that was very important, in order to not lose right after their earnout or earn up or whatever, however it's structured, to keep the founders and the team, right, you have to make it an environment where they feel like not only are they adding value, but that their voice is heard. Totally. Well, and remember, these are founders and entrepreneurs. They're used to five and 10 people and 15 people and 25 people and 60 people in shops. And then they get bought by a thousands person organization. And there's HR and structure. And, you know, don't talk to this person because he's two levels above you and politics to get decisions made. You know what I mean? Like all of that gets very frustrating to entrepreneurs or founders. And that's the other tension that I think you have to manage well um, when you think about acquiring a, a new up and coming brand. Actually, really, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think we're going to continue, especially as it relates to consumer health and wellness. That space, I feel for like, so going back to like East to West. What we're seeing in China for 22, the number one theme was around like, you know, taking better care of oneself, but it was all through kind of 
supplements and other things that you could do, right? You could buy online and take, do do for yourself at home. And I think we're starting to see that trend uh, ignite here. And, you know, think about our, our conversation right around, you know, being able to track your health, right? Totally. Jo- Justin is like the quantified self. <laughs> so, so you know, but it, but it is really interesting. And going back to even like, you know, I, I think there is even at the the national level, this desire spending time recently, as I mentioned, at the United Nations and other things like this, right? There is now a desire at the national level and even global level, right, to give consumers more intelligence around their health. Because think of sure. it. I mean, like it was funny, I was at the doctors the other day and they're like talking about the Mediterranean diet. And she's like, the most important thing is olive oil. I said, So if I take olive oil and put it on my mac and cheese, am I good? And she's like <laughs> laughed. And I said, Tracy, but you realize like what you're saying is very vague. And I right. said, and I said, that's the thing. It's like vagaries get us nowhere. I said, it's got to be super specific. And so I feel like, you know, and, and, and more and more just, I think that you, you are actually helping to really kind of pull together this, you know, some of these groups of folks who are starting to, as they spend more time together and, and think about the best way to deliver intelligence and messages Right. If we all start to do that in a similar vein, it's just a lot clearer for the consumer. Totally. Totally agree. Uh, um, we could go on for an hour or two more. I mean, again, if you guys couldn't tell, I mean, you know, <laughs> I told Deborah, I'm like, yeah, usually we go for 25 to 20, 25 minutes and now we're at 48. So funny. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. We've covered some great territory. Um, we get, you got to have you back on down the road. We could pick a couple of these topics and dive deeper. I'm looking forward to being on your show in a couple of weeks. Um, Deborah, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, learn about your company, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can reach out to Deborah, spelled Deborah, Wineswig, W-E-I-N-S-W-I-G at Corsite.com. You can also go to Corsite.com to get a, a flavor for our research. And, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. So, <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm I'm like, my, my phone number is on like everything. So, I mean, <laughs> it is the best, the, the best way to reach out is just to ask for help. Tell me what yeah, you I'm do. Yeah, kind of always available, like three hours of stuff. Yeah. Like, I'll get texts from like, I'm like, who is texting me? I, I mean, I'm getting up to go swim at 4.30 and there's a text already there. I'm like, what? <laughs> so funny. Oh With an idea. Hey, I've got this idea for NRF we should do together. I'm like, at four in the morning? That's <laughs> so hilarious. Stop, Justin. I know uh, I can reach you before you like it. I know. You know I'm pretty responsive. I mean, I. but man, um, it's so great to have you on. I'm going to have my voice back for the next episode. But Deborah, it's been so much fun. Thanks for being here. Take care. Thank you so much. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.